Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podside Picnic, everyone. Today, we're going to do a little Podside Radio supplemental. Uh, we're going to be talking about an interesting new um, band, artist, what have you. Uh, and they're here with us in the studio today. But uh, I also have uh, my trusty guest co-host, uh, Kurt, is here with me. Hi, Kurt. Hey. Hi, Carla. Hello, and with us today is uh, Levi Nunez. Uh, hey guys. And hello. And you are, uh, as I understand it, you're like uh, the one person band called Loot the Body, or am that I wrong is on that? Correct. You are correct. That is pretty okay. much me. You're the body in question. I, yeah, I'm the looter <laughs> and the body. It's not very economically feasible, but it's, it's a thing. Amazing. Okay. Well, already we're getting we're getting the heady territory. Who's the body? Who loots it? Exactly. The body loots itself. <laughs> this is the right podcast for that, isn't it? I do believe so. Okay, yes. good, good. You you are in fact in the zone. <laughs> <laughs> the nerd zone is probably the only zone that we have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Kurt, Kurt. Shh. <laughs> All right. So, um, so anyway, I, I honestly, uh, I, I do want to come out uh, straight up and say um, that I first heard your music um, as sort of like a, a, an ad for the Azag mini RPG. And we mm -hmm. can get into that in a bit, but but first off, you know, I have to ask this. Um, how did you get started like with this type of project? And let me ask you this. What was like it's obvious that you love old school D D. Uh what was the module that got you into it if you got into it? Yeah, yeah. Um man, loot the body is a culmination for better or worse. It's a culmination of a lot of things, but, um, the, th you know, I, I sort of came late to role play games. Like I'm really only maybe five or six years into actually having it be an awareness thing. And it, it's when I was younger, I, you know, um, I love sci-fi and fantasy of course all that kind of stuff just you know it was very saturated and loved it and then when i got older i really got into what in the D, &D world they called the appendix n uh, <laughs> books right so <laughs> that soothed that really like was a big deal for me but i couldn't find a group to play with, with when i was younger and when i did encounter the D, &D books it was math man you open up those books it is like they're so dense with text and so full of tables and math and that if you don't have a group and you don't have a guide through that world you're not getting in you know and and so i while i was um entranced by the covers and the art every time i tr tried to sort of get into it and play it just 
wouldn't happen. And, and I've heard so many stories that are like mine and, and other people who say, we just made up the rules. We didn't know we were playing the wrong way. So, um, <laughs> so it didn't happen for me until I was able to teach myself because all of a sudden there would be podcasts of actual plays mm -hmm. or there would be people teaching you or there would be versions. This is like a mind blower. Versions of games meant for noobs. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, like the starter sets never seemed like starter sets to me. You know, it was always very because it just yeah, it just seemed very dense to me. So um, I walked into my local gaming store one day, and I found um, I found actually the main thing was Dungeon Crawl Classics. To be honest with you, which is a mm, game okay. from Goodman Games because it's so pulpy. It's so appendix M. <laughs> it is like barbarians with bell bottoms. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's that sweet spot uh, that you see, like, it's like that van that just drove past you. And you're like, was that a wizard with a sword on the side of that thing? It's, you know, it's, it's that really sort of blue oyster cult type of hawk wind type of vibe. And, you know, the musical reference for, for me are very strong. So I got into, uh, in, in my local store, um, was running Dungeon Crawl Classics games. So I, I was able to learn that way. And then eventually I did get into D&D, &D, but immediately I wanted to go back to the old D&D &D stuff. I was like, okay, what? And, and Goodman Games actually does put out some of those old modules again. So I started looking into the late 70s, early 80s modules, and, and it sort of, a bunch of things happened at the same time, but essentially they were so inspirational to me. And I being you know, the, a songwriter and being a musician and, and sort of that's the world I really grew up in just in high school and college. I was always playing in bands. That's what I do. That's my mode of expression. You know, that's how I process things. The songs just started coming and they were really fun. And so this, it just so happened that the last band I was in, a great band called uh, Old California, an Americana band, um, which was a lot of fun. Was I was I've always sort of been like the side guy in every band I've been in. You know, I've been the utility guy. I play a little bit of keyboards, a little bit of guitar. I sing some background vocals. I've never been the lead guy. Um, but my band had broken up. We'd it was done, and I sort of had nothing to do with my musical output. And at the same time, I was just obsessing over these old modules. And so it was like the um, the momentum just of, of my obsession with this stuff just went right into my songwriting. Um, and that's sort of how Loot the Body started. And, 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 and it's funny because in one way, you think like, really? Like, you write songs about D&D? &D? Like, really? Like, that's weird. <laughs> but at the same time, look at like... Iron Maiden, you know, look at, yes, look at Genesis, look at all, all these like literature and other medium and other art forms have been sort of, and I, at this point, I am at the place where I consider role play games an art form because I've, I've sort of delved enough into the indie scene. I've, I've sort of gotten enough into it, whether everybody does or not, whatever. I, I, I see a lot of art in it. It's just a cross pollination. So, um, if, you know, Iron Maiden can, write a song about dune certainly i can write a song about expedition to the barrier peak <laughs> or a whole album which i did <laughs> so <Yes. laughs> so you know that's to me it's it's part and parcel it's the same thing like sometimes i do feel like 
wow, am I really only writing about these things? But at the end of the day, um, other things come out. You know, you might think, well, this is sort of just a song about a gelatinous cube and being eaten by a gelatinous <laughs> cube. But is it? You know, like, I find that sometimes I'll finish a song and be like, oh, I'm sort of saying something else here through that. That's sort of interesting. And that's always a nice surprise. That's why, you know, that's that habit that writers have or artists have. For me, that's that habit of, like, pick up an instrument. I'm like, okay, let's fish. Let's see what's, let's see what's coming. And so, the obsession for these games and the literature and, and the feeling of those old school games is like the, like I said, the momentum into that world. I love the way, um, Levi, that you mentioned kind of like uh, almost like the 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 feedback between kind of the the music and the art slash culture of like older science fiction and fantasy and older role playing games, because like on the one hand, you know, we we did uh, a Podside Radio episode recently where we kind of ran through a bunch of different bands that had done, um, you know, uh, sci-fi and fantasy concept albums. And so, you know, we, we talked about some of like the industrial bands that had, you know, like, like uh, fear factory that had done some sci-fi stuff. We talked about, uh, Janelle Monet and kind of her, her sci-fi stuff. We talked about, uh, dope smoker and their, their, mm -hmm. you know, epic, uh, sci-fi dune plus weed thing. Right. Um, but what I, I love that you focus on kind of the seventies era because, when you have these bands like Hawkwind, huge, huge Hawkwind fan, personally, huge Blue Oyster Cult fan as well, um, that uh, were, you know, making music about stuff that we now view as nerd culture before the dawn of what we now see as modern day nerd culture. They approach these things with with sincerity. Right. Oh, so yeah, like sure. when when Genesis um, makes a song that is about, you know, mentions like Gollum fishing mm -hmm. for fish in like the stagnant water. Um, it's not like they're doing like a gimmick song. It's they're they're approaching it very sincerely, and I I, I love that. You know, even when your songs are like a little bit, or, you know, obviously something about like you know being inside of a gelatinous cube and seeing the other dead you know adventurers inside the gelatinous <laughs> cube. I, I, even though obviously there's a bit of like there is a bit of of ingrained humor in that. I, I love that there's also there's also just like a sincerity of as you say, you know, role playing games are their own form of art. Certainly could they also contain many different forms of art. And apart from the the kind of in inherent uh, way that we tend to view nerd culture as being like somewhat ironically detached now, it's 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 no different from you know any any other story. And I, yeah. I love that you also approach it with you know sincerity uh, towards both kind of the the cultural tableau of like seventy sci-fi and fantasy, as well as just kind of the milieu of uh, role playing games as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'll tell you, like to me, it's. Here's a tale of two bands. You know, I don't know if you know of the band Manowar, but they're yes. often derided and ridiculed. I would say sort of rightfully so. And because uh, they take themselves very seriously. Now, you take look at Iron Maiden. Those dudes are like, they're in on the joke. They are the joke. They're laughing harder than anyone else at the joke. And yet they mean it 100%. It's everything at once. Like this whole idea of detached irony or this or that. I, I've, I've sort of like, so, and I feel part of this is just getting older. I was born in 72. I'm going to be 50. I'm going to let myself love things. <laughs> I'm going to let myself love things any way that I want to. Like in my early twenties, 
you know, living in LA, the, the indie rock scene that I was a part of, uh, the Silver Lake scene, all of it, it was so difficult to know how to navigate those social waters and every band I was in and every, I mean, I've sort of been through a lot of those things where I was not really just following the thing that made me happy, you know? So yes, like it, it will, it, these aren't joke songs to me, you know, like even though I'm very, I, I try, I think I'm aware of if it's a pastiche or if it, there's a certain reference or whatever it is, like, uh, you know, it's, I remember seeing uh, Steve Vai, you know, watching a video of himself when he was younger wearing like, you know, spandex and everything and saying, it's the whole ham folks, you know, like <laughs> there's no doubt that he's a genius musician. And at the same time, you know, he's walking around with these tight pants, twirling his guitar around doing, and he, he's got no conflict there. You know, he, there's, he sees no conflict between that. And I aspire to that level of just enjoyment of what I'm doing. Um, cause life's too short, you know? And, and yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're going to spend however many hours it takes to, you know, write and record and produce a song, whether you're doing it, you know, at some level with a bit of irony or not, you're, you're certainly invested in making art about it. So at some point it's like, well, how, how ironic is it really when you spend, you know, 40 hours on, uh, you know, <laughs> on a piece of, of quote unquote irony, like there yeah. has to be some, some sincerity. Otherwise it's, it's just not worth the time investment. For sure. For sure. So can I ask you something really quick, Levi? Yeah. Because, um, when we, we were talking about the, the, the the gelatinous cube song and i was just listening to that earlier and i was like this sounds a lot like um it, it just reminded me of a couple of things like uh inspirations apart from just prog rock that included like for instance cafe tacuba mm -hmm. and and uh the atercio pedalos uh album that had what is yeah, it yeah when they did strawberry fields they did a great cover of strawberry fields oh, atercio pedalos uh, did um yeah it's so great when, so I did grow through up, that sort of a trip hop uh, album was really great too. So I do. Yeah. So we were speaking briefly before the podcast. I did. I, uh, my dad's Mexican. I grew up in Mexico until I was like nine in, in the early eighties, I moved to the States and then I moved back again. So I've always sort of listened to some rock and Espanol own, but you know, in Mexico, unfortunately at, there wasn't always a great music scene, but definitely you know, Café Tacuba was one of the first ones to come out. And we would listen to a lot of music from Spain, you know, like a group like mm -hmm. Mecano or, or certain bands like that that were just huge. And and those were definitely great influences when, at, if I'd been in the States at that time, it would have maybe been only hair, hair metal, which is okay, you know, but it, it was able to give me at the same time, like these other influences, you know, um, that had, that you wouldn't, where you wouldn't, be listening to that in, in American radio, you know, so mm -hmm. I do have some of that in my background. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting when you mix in, especially because I went through the, the I was, uh, I was in Puerto Rico and the Roque en Español big, big upswing happened. And it was just great to get like these bands that were just, you know, they, they were in, including stuff that was local to them into these rock, you know, like, um, 
like for instance, uh, you know, some a band like Molotov who includes like cumbias in yes. some of their musical compositions, yeah. and and they're uh, hilarious too. And th- oh, but I, at the same time, they mean it. Yeah. Like that's a great example because <laughs> Molotov, you laugh your ass off at their stuff, but at the same time, it's good and it's really legit. Yeah, like their cover album is so amazingly good, and it didn't have to go so hard mm-hmm. because it does exactly what I'm expecting out of a cover album, which is to synthesize. It's not just an aping of the original song. It's actually bringing that song and showing obviously that they love it deeply, but also I'm going to inject a little bit of my style into it and give it a a little bit of a spin. Mm -hmm. And that's great. Uh, I also think that that's something that, that is sort of very present in a lot of the songs, even though you know, we've been talking about like, these are just D&D songs, but a lot of it's really great. Like I, I also, uh, was it the, the flump song? Was yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love, I it's love so the flump great. song. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, it, I was actually, I was really happy, you know, to be on this, on this podcast because you guys are very much about storytelling. Right. And, you, and, and that's really the vibe for me with songwriting. Like I, I, there's something about reading a module and when you when you read a module as a dungeon master, you're formulating the story that your players are going to have, you know, because it's really it could be a sandbox. It's a bunch of choices, a bunch of options, but there's a lot that you can do as the dungeon master. And that's sort of my vibe in songwriting a little bit. I, I tell people who come to me from only the gaming side who ask about what I do. I say it's really game prep, except it's a song. You know, and so like my my album about the Barrier Peaks, um, it's really how I would have prepped that adventure for somebody. And so <laughs> what and the flump is a good example, because if I play that monster to me, um, I think about especially the classic flump. He's harmless, you know, but there's there's like a hippie vibe about him and the gas weapon type of thing. You know, it's like smoke, marijuana smoke or something like that. It, <laughs> you know, to me, it was a, just a very natural thing, you know, so I. That's sort of where I went with um, with the idea of it. Like, what if the flump was really psychedelic? You know, it was like a real cool, mellow, into world peace dude. And you were sort of harshing his vibe, you know. And so that <laughs> that made me think, well, I'd have to put a little Mellotron in there. I'd have to put. And so that informs everything else, informs sort of the world building. And I make videos for all my songs. And so the video for that, definitely. I actually ended up making... <laughs> a flump, like I ended up making one <laughs> and I had my son wear it, you know, and, and I filmed him and stuff. It's just, you know, some, my wife has a lot of patience. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, but it is the story. And and sometimes I find like, I'll, I'll see a mod, an old adventure. I'll be like, oh, I should really write about this. I mean, this is a classic. And then I go through it. And I'm like, no, because this is really just, there's bad things that are going to hurt you. Be careful. Get out. Like there's nothing I can, if I was to play it. Yeah. It might be a fun dungeon, but it's, I need to find what makes this one special. Like what's the thing about this one? You know, there's, <laughs> I have an album coming out in November 5th. And and so that was sort of my, I feel like for a little while, it's the end of my classic module songs because I found six, modules where I was like, yeah, each of these, I totally get the thing. But I felt like if I was going to write one more song, it would end up being like, oh, didn't I make that rhyme already in another song? You know, (laughs) didn't I already, you know, that where it would be 
be careful, get out. There's something dangerous. Be careful. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's so definitely the story aspect of it, the angle of it, whether it be a point of view or a take on it that um, is inspirational to me is sort of the first step. So I, I was yeah. really surprised, I want to say, by the kind of musical direction that some of your songs go. Um, I, I, and wait, when you mentioned your background in, in like the indie rock scene, it all made sense because I was listening earlier today and I was like, some of these songs for, you know, five to 10 seconds at a time will sound like a neutral milk hotel song. Oh man. And, like, and, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, I was yeah. like, I, it's so odd to hear that yeah. up against like, like Hawkwind style, like theremin yeah. type. Music. <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah. that all clicked it into place for me. That, that elephant six. When when that whole collective, I yeah, that to me it blew my mind, and that was really like a clear, also sense of like it doesn't matter how pristine the recording is, it doesn't matter you know all these things that you might concern yourself with. Is there's so many other things that are going to tell you whether it's cool or not? Um, yeah, Neutral Milk Hotel, I or Olivia Tremor Control, the bands that sort of apples and stereo, the bands that came out mm -hmm. of that scene, super influential. And also grabbing from the past, you know, grabbing these old things and also throwing in, I don't know, like the saw or a banjo or weird instrumentations out of tuna horns that they could barely play. But they're so full of, of that, like essence of, of an artistic impulse, you know, you just know, like they're, they're just jam packed. Um, and definitely that's, that's why like for, I, in, the, in these last few years, I value a scene more than anything else, being part of a scene. There's something about having cohorts, having people in your world that are sort of traveling in the same circles. And, and I've, I feel like in the last few years, I've sort of found that scene in the indie uh, role play game world. You know, there's so many indie designers that the, my little phrase is, I just want to make cool things with cool people. And lately I've been doing some collaborations and working with people, reaching out. To, and you wouldn't think like, I make music, they make games. What the hell are we doing together? You know, but for some reason it works. And more and more I hear new role play games described in musical terms. Mm -hmm. This is a dark metal fantasy into the, what do you mean? It's a dark metal fantasy. It's a game. How could it be metal? You know, <laughs> but, but people use those terms to describe games. Um, and I get it rightfully so, because I, I get that feeling. It's, it's that sort of intangible aspect. But if you listen to a song, you'd be like, Oh, I'd love to play that game. It's the same thing. If you look at the cover, you know, very often the artwork has nothing to do with the game mechanics or the game itself. But you look at an Errol Otis cover, you're like, I want to be in that world. I feel that way about listening to The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. I listen to that. I'm like, I want to be in that world. I want to play that game. Um, so there's so much overlap with. And, but again, it goes back to, I feel right now, a lot of parallels between where indie rock was in the early 2000s and where the where the indie gaming scene is right now. It's, it's really fertile. There's a lot of great people making cool stuff. You, you just reminded me of um, the way that you expressed that uh, just now. It reminded me of um, a, a hilarious game called uh, brutal legend, the yeah. video game mm -hmm. where, where the uh, Tim Schafer, who was like the lead 
you know, he's the the head guy over at Double Fine Games. His his uh, guiding ethos and aesthetic was it's going to be like a fantasy realm, but you know what? If you can see it, you can imagine it on a heavy metal album. If it's a hot rod and it's like chrome, but it's a fantasy world, it belongs in the game. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. And it just, it just, uh, that, that is such an interesting, uh, thing to sort of, I guess, accept into like what is ostensibly a quote fantasy video game that it just, it just blew my mind because it, it, it makes a sense, you know, it's, it just, it's just going with a overarching aesthetic rather than sort of like a hard rules uh, about what goes in and what goes out, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I think that's a good comparison. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Speaking of video games, because I I, I did want to point out uh, one of <laughs> one of the the songs that I found to be really amusing and actually I enjoyed it a lot is down at the tavern, which is you know the stereotypical way that lots of fantasy stories as well as um, role playing adventures start. Uh, you, when you made the video, it's sort of mimicking the old Bart's Tale. Uh, yeah. game yeah. so did you get into any of the old school rpgs so when i was um yes and no i mean i had a you know i i had a commodore i had and we went through the atari and then but there was a time when i sort of dropped off in gaming and so you know there wasn't a lot of RPG stuff in my world, but the Bard's Tale, I did get a chance to play. Um, and so when it came time to to make a video for that, I, to be honest with you, I, I, I wasn't thinking of the game when I wrote the song. The, the song was inspired by a, a whole other thing. Where, um, But because I try to make a video for every song, and inevitably, I, so I, I guess it's probably a good time to mention also that Loot the Body... To, the reason I have that name is because I like the idea of repurposing stuff, of using stuff from the past, stuff that's around to sort of keep you going now or to recontextualize, you know, because at some point I was thinking, oh, should it be loot the body like L-U-T-E? Like, wouldn't that be cute? But really, the <laughs> idea of loot the body to me is like as an as an artistic ethos, I think is very valid. So I, I found footage of old pixelated video games um, and sort of compiled it all into the video for that. And and the idea of which, you know, I even put a little insert disc two in the middle of, <laughs> of the video, you know, definitely like <laughs> a callback to that. Um, something about that felt right to me, you know, uh, but when I first wrote the song, it was, it, it wasn't tied to that eighties aesthetic, but it, it felt really good. And the other thing, some of it is just, practicality i found a good amount of footage of cutscenes from those games that i could somehow cut together um or use a little after effects magic to try to fit the story that i was trying to tell um <laughs> yeah i mean it's charming as all hell because honestly I, I you know what i never got to play a bard's tale um 
but I had much more, much like yourself, I had much more success playing some of the old, uh, like those SSI D and D games, mm-hmm. you know, the curse of the Azure bonds and stuff like the, the pool of radiance. Uh, I had much more luck playing that as D and D than getting together with a gaming group because yeah. I didn't know anyone. And, and also like, I, I, I just had lots of resistance from, from my folks at the time who just didn't get it. They just didn't understand it. Plus uh, people that they knew were like, Oh, that's um, yeah. I've heard bad things, you know? And yeah. so th- they just take that and they, you know, it's, they're going to trust their colleagues rather than their kid. So, of course. so, you know, they're like, uh, yeah, it's fine. Uh, but, but, it just reminded me of that whole sort of section of my life where I was like, well, you know, um, I wish I could find people to play with, but I'll be just hitting, you know, like the command for attack and hope that that swing will hit this time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and using those, um, I think using like the throwback visuals uh, is kind of like a perfect parallel to the way that um you know m- musical elements especially uh you know musical elements that are stereotypically of the past can evoke art of the past even if there's no direct connection from the thing to itself so for instance like you know that old style like ega hercules type graphics makes us think of you know an old school fantasy role-playing game because that's how they looked and those were the sort of games that were popular but there's no particular connection between that art style and you know fantasy stories that's that's just something that has kind of been culturally inherited in much the same way that you know there's no particular connection between like a Mellotron and, you know, Elric, it's just, it just happens to right. be that, you know, we culturally associate those things of as being of a particular time period. And so, as yeah. you say, it's, it's a neat opportunity to go back and dig up things and go, well, like what, what cultural connotations does this bring with us? And what does it, you know, make us feel on like a, like a tangible level that we can't quite put our finger on why we feel that way, except to say like, when I see a van, it makes me think of X type of, you know, fantasy story. I don't know yeah. why, but it's just, that's just what my brain is telling me. Yeah. And, or when you, I mean, you know, when I was young and looked at just album covers, right. Like you were mentioning, just who knows, who knows what it is. Like Uriah Heep, man, those guys knocked it out of the park every time. Certain bands, every album cover was, was amazing. And the whole Elric connection is interesting because, you know, Michael Moorcock is, I can think of, he's, he is the one dude who did, you know, he collaborated with Hawkwind and Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. They wrote songs about him. That connection was very solid. And he he saw it way early on. And I don't know if it was just because he was hanging out with them or what, but that but that's the biggest sort of predecessor for it that I can think of for any of this stuff. Yeah. I I mean, I I I didn't know any of those things, but somehow my brain uh, immediately connected something like um, your tracks on Azag to something that I could imagine. Like I could close my eyes and imagine that this is, you know, some sort of weird Melnibony uh, type of track rather than, you know, linked to that particular RPG or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I was definitely for that stuff. I was definitely trying to evoke some gritty, 1970s psychedelic fantasy version with a little dark undertones 
you know, and some of that has to do with, with the art and just my general feelings about the best sword and sorcery. You know, the best sword and sorcery has that sense of like, there better be some sort of an opium den. There better be, you know, there better be a snake cult, a snake orgy. There better be like some evil necromancer who is just too smart, you know, or just too, he's, I don't know. There's these little intangibles. And if you mention those things, like I can correlate that to music and I, I can't even explain to you why, but I know what music better be playing when you walk into that. <laughs> you know, into the dais, the hall of the dais and the alabaster halls or something. I don't, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's, that, I think you captured it. What is it? The, the Forbidden City mm-hmm. uh, track on, on your Hex One album. Um, I mean, that, that is a great, like, it has like this real ominous tone to it. And obviously it's, it's based off of the, the module, but, mm-hmm. but like, I just, like I've never played the module. I don't think I've ever read the module, but I understood what the module was about when I read when I listened to the song, and it's it's great. I think that you synthesized it just in a fascinatingly you know like a lucid way that I could sort of not to I, I hate using this phrase, but I could grok it. You know, it's yeah. just I could fully understand it without really needing to do anything else. I could just listen to the song. Yeah, there's a, yeah, it, there's, uh, thank you. And and that's sort of what I try to go for. Like, I'll I'll pick up a module. I try to read, I'll try to think about just what does this feel like, you know, that, and and sometimes I'll, I'll be like, well, if, if I don't have a riff, I, I have no business writing this song. Like, this song needs a riff. <laughs> you know, there needs to be, like, I have a song on my Barrier Peaks album, Frog Hemoth. That, mm-hmm. the, that monster, that creature needs a riff. I don't know what it was about that. And I thought, I'm just going to wait for the right riff to come. And then when I wrote that, I was like, okay, that's the frog hemoth. There's just something about that that tells me this guy is like, you know, <laughs> this is a, a Lovecraftian sort of, <laughs> you know, old one that's just been lurking under the water waiting or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. You got like a nice base to that one, if I remember correctly. And it did just gives you like this feeling of something, something hidden, sort of submerged, which if I'm remembering, uh, you know, my, my, my scan, my very quick skim over the barrier peaks, um, module, which is a fascinating module in and of itself, um, that really sort of captures the, the feel, right. You're, you're sort of like in this weird, um, uh, habitat, yeah. uh, and it's just a swamp and there's something out there. I mean, right. it's just, you don't know what it is, but it's it's out there. Something's out there. I don't know if it's the intent that they had. A lot of times I'll read up the background and it was like, oh, there was a convention and Gary Gygax was tired of everybody beating his game. So he came up with a really difficult dungeon and this is it. You know, sometimes <laughs> that's the reason why these things come together. And there isn't any, like, he, you know, the whole thing about the expedition to the Barrier Peaks, spoilers, is that it's a crash-landed spaceship, right? Mm-hmm. And so, this party, imagine, like, your Tolkien-esque adventuring party, enters what they think is sort of a mysterious cave. Um, and if you're, if the DM plays it a certain way, you could describe it, well, the walls are made of steel, you know, or this is made of a crystal, but you don't know what the crystal is. Well, it's, you know, it's... 
It's the hull of a spaceship. These are computers. These are robots. These are they. But if you don't know what those things are, you know, they, they could be like a metal golem or a, you know, they could be described in a, it takes a while for the players themselves. At least it did when, before, you know, before the module became so popular, it takes a while for them to realize that they're in a crash landed spaceship. But the great thing about the module, if you look at it is the computers look like Texas Instruments computers from like, you know, <laughs> this wonderful, wonderfully dated, wonderfully dated art. What it looks like a Star Crash, not even Star Wars. You know, it, all the art looks very like, I don't know, like a, yeah, like a Radio Shack catalog or something. So <laughs> that's it's amazing. So, it's so wonderful. And, and so um, that aspect of it to me is it's not science fiction, it's retro science fiction. Yeah. You know, it's, mm -hmm. and, and, and so that feeling it, it, it was important for me at least to try to capture in, in those songs. Yeah. 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 I, I, I totally get that because it's, it's a weird, um, it's almost like a future that is already hauntological when you explore it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a good way of putting it. And you're, it, and, and so the encounters that you have in there are sort of colored with that, um, with that feeling. And, it, and it's, it's crazy. The types of things that they threw in there and the reasoning for why this would be in this spaceship is interesting too. Um, but I don't know. There was something about it when I, when I, read that module that it made me think of the lamb lies down on broadway it made me think of oh this is like uh, i was just writing songs and i just kept writing songs that were tied to that module and i was like i guess i'm writing an album that's just about this <laughs> one you know that's how it's got to be great so um can i ask you because i i noticed that you did <laughs> you did tomb of horrors but you didn't do temple of elemental evil or is that right upcoming? well so there's some you know, I guess I get asked like about against the giants also and some other ones that are very mm. popular. They would be concept albums. Like there's gotcha. some, you know, I think that the Temple of Elemental Evil includes the village of Hamlet. So that's mm -hmm. even and then you move on to this and this. I couldn't just do a song about those. So right. I, I I was reading him. I was leafing through him and Goodman Games just put out a just a beautiful, gorgeous reissue of that one. I, I couldn't just do one song. And and after the Barrier Peaks album, I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna sort of take it easy on concept albums. I it, I might <laughs> revisit it eventually, you know, if I feel super inspired, but it yeah, it's just I couldn't do any of those justice with just one song. It would feel like yeah. it would feel like a shopping list, you know, and it like and then this guy and then that guy and then this guy and then this guy. Or it would be like we didn't start the fire or something like that, you know. <laughs> just a list of things. And I wouldn't want to do that, you know. I wouldn't want to do that. Um so we, we, we didn't we didn't start the fungi goddess. Exactly. Um. Exactly. So I, I'm holding off on those and maybe I'll I'll come back to them, but um for the time being yeah the big the big modules i just couldn't swing it yeah i mean i and and to your to your point like um from what i've seen of goodman games it's really interesting because they are actually uh trying trying to go for that um that same sort of art feel mm -hmm. even the art direction on the covers and like the colors the way that it looks uh all of it looks like those old modules. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's like a, it's like um, a found document, right? Like, and it's, I feel like, I feel like it's a nice parallel for, for, you know, making songs that, that 
pull from you know older motifs and older styles of music like like just like somebody somebody who encounters first or second edition D D now here in 2021 um is experiencing it in a different way than someone who was you know experiencing it in 1978 or 1981 um you know someone who is hearing uh you know 70s style prog rock for the first time in 2021 will never know quite what it was like to to hear that when that was current music so it's it's kind of both things have taken on this this added mythology this added character yeah. um of of like some something passed down through the mists of time uh yeah. and which i think is really it, it adds it like a whole nother neat depth to it that I mean, I certainly wasn't alive in, you know, 1975 or I guess I guess first edition was 76, I think. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, it's like it's it's I don't know, it's uh, it's feels very genuine and it feels very like a thing out of time. And I think it's a nice parallel having both of those things feel that way. And it's really nice to discover things like that, too. I mean, I when I was a kid, I discovered the Beatles through my dad's records. I was not alive when the Beatles were together, you know, but. I am a way bigger Beatles fan than my dad is, than he ever mm. was. And he'll try to tell me, oh, did you know the Beatles? I'm like, dad, this is, <laughs> this is what they really did. This and then, and then there was Mal Evans. He was their roadie and he's the one that was hitting the hammer on Maxwell's silver hammer. However, you know, like I'll just, and that's stuff that my dad would never even, and he was alive during that time. And they were, they were his records, you know, so, and that's cool. That's okay. That's, that's totally fine. So I'm on board with what you were just saying, Kurt, that you, you discover these older things and they resonate, they have a resonance for you that is inherent in, in the art, but it's in a way magnified by the time that has passed since, mm -hmm. since it's been out. And, and that's, that's good, you know? Yeah, my I, my my similar dad story is um, my dad and I for the longest time disagreed about the band. Yes, um, I didn't like Yes because their production didn't sound older. It didn't sound like it was from the seventies. It had like immaculate, mm -hmm. you know, modern sounding production. And my dad liked that it sounded very crisp, crisp and clean. Because when yeah. he was growing up, everything sounded like shit production because it was, you know, from like the early 60s, like the late right. 50s. Um, and so for him, it was like, finally, stuff doesn't sound like shit. And for right. me, I'm like, oh, why doesn't this sound like shit? I like when things sound like shit. That means they're old <laughs> <Right>. and cool. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And But for your dad, it might have also been the advent of really good hi-fi, too. Exactly, like, yeah. finally, we have, a, we have stereo and this is a killer record player. And this album really shows it off, you know, where before if we had one speaker and everything was in mono. So yeah, I, I, I get both sides of it. And, and it's interesting to be aware of the context of something when you're listening to it. I think a lot of times it adds to it. Kurt, you want to hear, you want to feel really old or you want to feel really young. I should oh, say. Please. Yes. Yes. Say. Always. <laughs> uh, around 78. I came I, I came into contact with the D and D basic boxed set, the red box. This was the one that had Hobbit as a as a character oh, yeah. class. Yeah. 
God, I love those books. <laughs> yeah, Elf. I believe I, 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 Elf. Elf was a class. Yes, also, there was I an believe. Elf yes. magic user. Yes, yes, you're <laughs> you're absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Um, these were also before they they had figured out that maybe it wasn't a good idea that uh, the amount of XP could um, the amount of gold that you looted. Uh, speaking of loot, the body <laughs> uh, could actually include uh, give you XPs. Um, so it was just. Just a wild, wild time. Yeah. I could either go adventuring or I could just kill these villagers. And either way, I'll, <laughs> I'll gain levels. And, and thus, the murder hobo was born. <laughs> so, um, Levi, have you ever, uh, have you gone through the um, any of the other supplements in D&D? Because uh, it, the one thing that I was just thinking about when you were talking about like sword and sorcery is like, uh, Lankmar mm, that they yeah, had that yeah, yeah. second edition Lankmar, mm-hmm. and of course you know the the works of Fritz Leiber, which were just fantastic. Yeah, uh, I, those were really sort of like that got me on rails to really want to play D anD D even more. I, I would say even more so than the Dragonlance stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you you'd had any experience with that or, or had seen it or had played it. By the, a, a, you know, by the time I sort of got into it, Goodman Games was already on the Lankmar property, so mm. I'm much better versed in the, in their take on it, and I know that they're that you know i mean this is super nerdy stuff but the maps and the D version weren't always correct or there were a lot of in and the goodman games folks went through all that kind of stuff so i'm but the farfit and, and gray mouser stories i i definitely was you know was some early reading for me but not not in the gaming world and then later i i became aware of, of that supplement but um because so you know the whole appendix n thing which is that appendix mm-hmm. at the end of dungeons and dragons where gary gygax says these are the literary influences that went into dnd um the the dungeon crawl classics folks they they advertise that up front you know this is mm. linked to this is appendix n based so that's all they had to say that's all they had to say to get me you know to be okay like i love all those books let's let's see what's up let's see what's up with with their stuff yeah. I mean, I I just recently picked up like three titles from that were that were in included in the appendix. And uh, the first one that I tried was uh, The Shadow People by uh, Margaret St. Clair, mm-hmm. who I did not know had written this old story that I'd, I'd read ages ago called what is it? Um, the Man Who Sold Rope to the Knolls, I believe it's called. Huh. Um uh, Margaret Sinclair is like that book is bananas. It really is very good. Uh, I mean, it's pulpy as all get out, but it is very good. And it starts off in this really sort of paranoid way that sort of sets the stage for like the uh, ethos that Gygax used regarding like what would later become the Underdark, like mm-hmm, the idea right. that because that's an underground world, right? There's like all these semi-humans down there, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's yeah. also like the the inspiration for the Drow mm-hmm. uh, and so on, mm. um, or, or one of them anyway. Uh, but but it really sort of also uh, set up like this idea that the dungeon and the underground was hostile, Mm -hmm. like actively hostile to the Mm -hmm. player, which I I think that um, 
you know, more recent versions of D&D has sort of stepped away from. But I don't know that that's entirely the correct stance. Uh, I, I actually, you know, the more I think about it, I, I actually do like the idea that like the underground is like a, almost like a living entity that does not want you in it. Right. Right. And, and that's the beauty of the DM running their game. Cause what you're doing right now is you are doing DM prep in my <laughs> underdark. This is how the underdark is, you know, and that's, I think that's always been a core person part of the game. And some of the earliest D&D books say, basically, you know, what is happening at that table between you and the DM and the players, that is the right way to play D&D. Um, and that's that's there from early, early on. So mm -hmm. there's certainly certain things that I like to do and when I when I run a game. And um, but I think that literary inf influence of that, I, I think, is very Direct also, you know, the magic system and in D and D is pretty much from Jack Vance. It's taken mm -hmm. from from Jack Vance's Dying Earth books. The idea that a wizard or a caster memorizes a spell at the beginning of the day, and that spell is sort of prepared in their mind, almost like a a loaded gun or whatever. And then once that spell is used, it is spent. Mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah. that was sort of the the light bulb for for Gary Gygax, Dave Arneson, and those people to be okay. That's how we can keep magic users from being so overpowered. Um, there's, and that's sort of interesting. You know, when when you stumble on a book and you're like, oh, this is where they got it from. This is where that <laughs> idea came from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 really interesting to see. Uh, it's almost like a, a weird uh, literary archaeology, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you you go back, and and you know, Guy Gax was pretty upfront about it. He's put it all in Appendix N, and he's like, "This is you know, I got this. These are the books I read to get there." And right. I I do I do appreciate that. I do think that that's something that um, I don't know if you ever played uh, like the Vampire of the Masquerade stuff, but. Uh, they had also like bibliographies and mm -hmm. music like at the end of the book or, or at the very least, I think, I don't remember if it was at the end of the book or at the end of the introduction before the rules all started, they would say, these are the books we read <laughs> to get these ideas. Yeah. This is the music we listen to. You know, you, you should watch these movies to get the feeling, blah, blah, blah. It was really interesting because it's, it's more of an aesthetic thing rather mm -hmm. than, these are the rules you should follow. Right. Um, and, and it's really interesting to see it as, because then that points to specifically, as we've talked about earlier in this episode, that this is art, you know, mm -hmm. you're trying to, trying to follow or chase an aesthetic um, and you may make a different synthesis out of it, but it is sort of like they're trying to give you the building blocks of like, this is what we were thinking about. This is what we watched when we thought about this game. Yeah. And I think a lot of times it's hard for the dungeon master to, or the game master or the judge, whatever, to make the world. And so those things really inform it because otherwise it's just rules and that's boring. You need to mm -hmm. set the scene. You need to, to bring the world to life. So all of those things really inform it. Um, and I, I also thought that sometimes the appendix N was Gary Gygax's way of saying, this isn't Lord of the Rings, <laughs> you know, because at the time when those games came out, a lot of people wanted to play that in that world. And, and that's why they, they had the Hobbit in there and eventually they got sued by the Tolkien estate <laughs> and had to change that. But I think part of it is like, you know, it's, there's other, there's Paul Anderson, there's all these other people that also 
created worlds that we were, you know, informed by. Um, and and maybe the, it, the case is the same with Vampire the Masquerade. It's not just Anne Rice, the role play game. You know, it's, mm-hmm. there's other things happening here. Yeah, yeah, they 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 did their homework. I mean, it, it did feel um, very much. I remember uh, reading like. You know what is it? the vampire? I read these out of order, so I read the vampire list at first, and then picked up interview with the vampire, and uh, then after reading those, I had picked up the vampire of the masquerade books, and I was like, this seems very much like that, but also they have Dracula, they mm-hmm. also have this, they also include this other thing, and it was different enough that that it didn't feel like they were just trying to ride the coattails of, you know, Anne Rice making a bunch of vampire novels. Mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm. and having those aesthetic, those aesthetic reference points, you know, helps cast it in a different light. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think that Anne Rice was thinking of, you know, Bauhaus and Lacuna Coil when she right. was writing Interview with the Vampire. And so- <laughs> or, or, when, or Joy Division, for Or instance. Joy Division. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and when you take that and you smash it together with this kind of like- counterculture goth you know dark wave uh aesthetic it 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 inherently adds a different you know tenor to it even though it's yeah. clearly built upon it j- just that little bit of like aesthetic tweaking sends your mind down different avenues you know yes. lestat is not going to be hanging out in you know a shitty punk dive bar um <laughs> but you know that's like a fundamental aspect of you know, Vampire the Masquerade. And and yeah. plus, you have to move those Lacuna Coil albums somehow. I mean, they're not going to sell themselves. I don't Look, care. Skinny, skinny I, Puppy isn't, isn't out there trying to, to market that hard, okay? I don't care what you say. My orcs listen to doom metal, you know? <laughs> And I know that's Hell not what yeah. Tolkien had in mind. When when I, when I see an orc, there better be a low tune, distorted guitar playing. You know, it's just <laughs> there's just something about that. Like we were talking about the Mellotron, where just a chunky drop tuned electric guitar just chunking away while there's the barbarian hordes advancing. There's just something about that. It's like you know, it's like the, peanut the orcs, butter and jelly. The orcs have- the orcs have like the the dude from um, from Fury Road. Exactly, George yeah. Miller gets it. He gets it. <laughs> he totally gets it. Yes, I mean, and to be fair, like uh, the the flamethrower guitar guy would also fit perfectly fine in Brutal Legend. So Tim Schafer gets it as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're 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 sort of. Um, I think that um, as as I'm talking to you, Levi, uh, you're you're sort of cementing the idea that I had way back when that um, one of the things that really sort of was an inspiration to me when I, when I was playing games and thought about writing was the idea that a role-playing game specifically has a different function than a pure, you know, sort of like a, a narrative. And, and so the, the role-playing game has to be a story that has a hole in it that the player fills yeah and i i feel like you're sort of giving me sort of information that that sort of corroborates that you know it, the fact that you have come up with these sort of very interesting and and uh yeah just fantastic uh musical tracks for different things i mean we haven't even gotten into ravenloft which which is a great sort of like uh sort of goth metal type of track uh 
I just think that all of this is is sort of like exactly what I'm talking about. That you you read these modules and came up with like your own sort of spin on them because there is in fact a hole in them <laughs> and you have to fill it yeah, in the, some way, shape, or form. They're asking you for that. There is that that piece of it. You're right. You do have to, and and that's sort of the. There's many ways to do it, you know, and I and I I get bummed out sometimes where people. You know, always find something to argue about online. And in, in my circle, sometimes it's no, you're playing it wrong, you know. So there's many ways to play it. There isn't just one way to do it. But but certainly for me in the style that I like to play, there is that piece of it, which is it requires the 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 players and with through their characters to do something and to and and I'm listening to what they're saying and I'm watching what they're doing and I'm oh you guys like that kind of stuff well there's going to be this kind of stuff or there's going to you know it's informed by that um that that Ravenloft one um there's a wonderful you know you open the module and and Strahd pretty much there's a, you know there's a section where he tells you like his raison d'etre I was like wow this is like his little manifesto um and that's what that song is. That's like I, another thing I like to do is that world building. I wrote a song about um, White Plume Mountain, which is the same thing. This mm -hmm. is just the backstory. Like the game starts after this song, you mm -hmm. know, but, it, yeah. but it's almost like the exposition. Like, let me do the heavy lifting for your game, Mr. DM. You know, show your players this video. Then you can play your game and they'll have a little background on it. Um <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do have to, I'm, I'm chuckling here because I, uh, the video of that is so great also, and it doesn't really spoil anything. It's, it's great. I, I just think it's fantastic. Um, yeah, that one and, to and, me was like another one that needs a riff that to me, white plume mountains, like that's Dio era Sabbath. I wish, you know, and one thing I haven't mentioned is loot the body is really the first band I've ever sang lead in. So in making these songs and creating these videos, I'm not a uh, visual artist. I'm not, I'm really just like a, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. I'm a hack in every degree, but I've sort of, if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. I'm sort <laughs> of, you know, I forgave myself for all my sins. And I just sort of, I know that I can't sing like Dio. I know that I can't sing like Bruce Dickinson. Many times I wish I just could just, call on them for a little bit for a little bit you know i have the voice i have i have the thing so it is what it is you know it comes out that way and and so it, i wish sometimes i could jump around a little better from genre to genre and bring different things in right now um my new album comes out on the fifth i'm about four releases into this i'm get finally i think i'm getting a good handle on what i do i'm like okay so there's on one end, I would say there's this song. On the other end, far other end, there's this song. And then there's everything here in between. I'm starting to understand sort of what my what my thing is, you know? You know, if you if you hack enough, eventually you will slash. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, um, Good one. T tell us a little bit uh, about about the new album. Yeah. So my um, my last it's actually an EP. I, I've made an album. Uh, EP called Hex Volume One, which was um, six classic, six songs based on six classic modules. And so Hex Volume Two is coming out in November 5th. And that's six more songs about six other classic modules. And so it's, it's really um, in this one, uh, um, 
I have a sea shanty type of vibe on um on the Isle of Dread, which is sort of cool. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Hell I, yeah. Yeah, I, I read that. I was like, okay, what's the, what's the deal for this one? Oh, this would be, this feels like a sea shanty type of thing. Um, I have, what else do I have in there? I have a couple of, rock, of I'm revisiting my sort of um, rock roots with a, with a couple of ones. Let me bring it up here because I'm totally blanking on what songs are on there. I'm, not very professional, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're barely professional, so it's okay. <laughs> All right. So what songs do I have in there? Um, oh, yeah. In Search of the Unknown, which is um, that. So that was sort of an interesting one. It's uh, I think it's a, a module that was really meant for to teach DMs how to make their own thing, you know. But hmm. um, so I that that one's got more of a what's the vibe on that one it's it's i'm stylistically i've been lately visiting like the the sort of proto metal 70s type of vibe so for here with isla dread i definitely strayed from that definitely strayed from that in in search of the unknown um i also have a, a song about the lost city in there um, and so those are a little bit different, but I do for people that like the riffage, I do have the red hand of doom in there, which was probably the, the more recent module I've done, even though I think it's from the early two thousands. Um, <laughs> and against the cult of the reptile God, I, which is, um, a great one about us, um, the city that's been sort of infiltrated by reptilians and who is, and who isn't one. Well, you know, what's happening to our town, that type of thing, that type of game is cool because you, you have that feeling of almost like werewolf, you know, who's been converted, who hasn't, we got to find out who, who can we trust, who can't. So, um, that's sort of an interesting one. So yeah, six songs about six more, uh, modules, um. I'm really excited about sharing these with people and sharing uh, the videos for them as well. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the, I, I, I'm going to, you know, like I've already pre-ordered that one myself. <laughs> I'm going to be frank and say that, you know, that, yeah, I, I really sort of enjoyed everything that you've put out so far. And so uh, I do want to uh, sort of uh, encourage people to, really look this up and uh and probably pre-order your uh hex volume two because honestly everything that you've put out so far levi is just really great i just i i i'm not currently playing but when i listen to your music i feel like the way that i did when i was Thanks, man. That's like the ultimate, that's the ultimate compliment. Things like that. Or when people say, I listen to your music when I'm painting minis, I'm like, oh, that's oh. great. That's great. That <laughs> is <Hell> just, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's me walking. Honey, guess what happened? <laughs> guess what they said about my music? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, so, uh, I guess we should probably, I, I don't know if we want to, uh, wrap up just yet, but maybe we should, um, ask you, Levi, where can we find your stuff? So I'm on Bandcamp, lootthebody.bandcamp.com. That's where my songs are, but my songs are also on Spotify and Apple Music and other streaming services. Um, the Hex, my last EP, Hex Volume 1, just went up there. So you can 
find my first three releases there streaming, which is Random Encounters was my first one, then the Barrier Peak Songbook, and then Hex Volume 1. So I also have a, a YouTube channel. If you just look up Loot the Body, you'll find you'll find it there. And um, if you like the songs, you might like the videos. I try to make a video for every song because I that's also you know been a thing that I just enjoy doing. I, I I don't know. I just have, I've always played with video. And so when every band I was in, I was always the guy making the merch, you know, that was always a fun <laughs> thing for me. I'd what's the logo. You know, I was a, when I was in middle school, I'd be like drawing guitars or drawing fake band logos. <laughs> so it's an extension of that. Um, so I put a lot of that type of stuff in my videos and um, I'm on Twitter at loot the body and on Instagram at loot the body band. So folks, Hell yeah. free to find me i mean honestly uh you are indeed the triple threat you are a gamer <laughs> you are a musician <laughs> and you produce your own videos so i mean what else can i say well uh, honestly the videos are really great too yeah they're they're okay come on they're some of them are better than others you know that um but i but i like i just like doing it to be honest with you i like <laughs> just like doing it you know i like making the music i like it's just um it's it's directly responsible for my day-to-day -day happiness. That's all I can say, you know, <laughs> and I hope everybody finds something like that. You don't have to write songs about D&D modules from the 1970s. You can do something else. <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah. Somebody else already did. Exactly. It's you. <laughs> um, you, you've already occupied that niche, sir. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, answer, the answer to this question might be you know i uh, might just be predicated on on the time that you started the project but but i'm i'm curious you know do you you know ha have you done any uh live shows of this material and if not you know do you do you plan to you know i've been asked a couple times um i i don't really plan on it and and the main th reason for it is there's a thing in, in band circles we call LSD, which is not what you think. It's lead singer disease. And <laughs> I don't have it. I don't have LSD. I don't have that feeling of like, look at me, you know? And so a lot of time, like, I definitely want people to listen to my music. I want them to um, check out my videos and do what I'm doing. But sometimes I've been asked, hey, do you, you know, you want to hop on this stream and play a song for us or something? Uh, that's, re that's really not me. And I feel bad saying that. I feel like I let people down. There's a sense of how can you be a musician and not want to do that? And it's, I just, I don't know. I just don't feel it. What, it, what would have to happen would be, well, first of all, getting a band together is right, right. tricky. So I would have to get a band together. We would have to then practice these songs. And then we would have to, and already the investment that we're putting into it, the thing that we're going to do would have to be significant, you know, for mm. that. And I, I, I mean, part of me also thinks, man, in all this time, I could have written and recorded another album. <laughs> <laughs> so I, right. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm not going to say n never or no, but I think a lot of, a lot of things would have to be right for it to happen. And part of it is also, as I said, I've always been a, the side guy in the band. You know, I've been the guy playing the guitar, singing the harmony or doing whatever. And so it's like this skill or this, this muscle that I've never used. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Makes sense. I got you. All right. Um, 
So in, in any case, uh, Levi, I do want to thank you for coming on and talking all about your your current oeuvre uh, and specifically uh, also Hex Volume 1 and the upcoming Hex Volume 2. Um, can I ask you, uh, Levi, once Hex Volume 2 comes out, would you be interested in coming back? Of course. And talking about that. I actually, Excellent. I actually am working on some very cool things that I oh. can't quite share yet, but the but yeah, I I hope to have more fun and cool things to talk about if you do invite me back because there's like I said, you know the the scene of indie uh, tabletop role playing games is really um, I feel like I'm I'm sort of a part of that scene now and there's and and people are like the Azag music that I did. I, I made music mm -hmm. for another role play game called Down We Go and that the Kickstarter went really well for that. So that those are instrumental tracks and people are sort of reaching out to me for that. And that's so much fun to be able to do that. Nice. Um, so I, I hope, and I'm sort of already working on some other collaborations that would be neat to talk about. Excellent. Excellent. Because I, I honestly, I really, really don't take this the wrong way, but sometimes when I'm writing, I can't listen to stuff that has lyrics in it. But your Azag stuff, because it's instrumental only, I can put it on the background. Cool. So um, I'm the same way. I'm yeah, the same way. I, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm I'm interested in finding out what you do next, and uh, I do want to thank you for coming coming on and talking to us about your uh, your your current projects, your past projects, and your upcoming projects. Um, did you have anything else that you want to tell our uh, listeners, uh, Levi? No, I just want to thank you, Carlo and Kurt. I wish that I, I, I would have, I could have been on the Lady Hawk episode. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings oh about Lady Hawk. <laughs> I was listening and just biting my tongue. Going, come on, guys, <laughs> you're just gonna leave that one there. God, for crying out loud! If you what, ever you wanted know? to come back for a movie episode, <laughs> yeah, or we, you wanted could, to suggest we... a movie, we would, I'm sure, be into it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I you, mean, you honestly... know, with the, with it might be a little late, but if you ever do the David Lynch tune. That's like my, oh, you know, if you oh, ever do baby. that. All right. So just, you know what? Just putting that uh, out there. No, no. I mean, that's, that's great. You know what, Levi? Uh, you've given me some stuff to think about. Uh, <laughs> um, just check your email soon. Is All right. All right. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Long live the fighters. Excellent. All right. Well, I, I do want to thank uh, everyone for listening in. And of course, again, to our very gracious guest, Levi. Um, and folks, go go out, listen, and buy Loot the Body's body of work. It's just great. So uh, I do, uh, do want to thank you for listening, and thanks again. We'll catch you next time on Podside. Darkness would surely win But in the night a beacon shines Keeping villainy at bay A place where the weary can rest their heads And the guiding light for the rain